Hey to all you data-driven marketers out there looking for new ways to reach unique prospects and better engage audiences. This is the seventh, yes, seventh podcast for the Two Guys and Some Data series, giving you the nitty-gritty advice you need to actually make more money. I'm Alan Abbott. And I'm Larry Cavanaugh. And today we're going to talk about the future of direct-to-consumer marketing. What current technology and trends we're seeing that are going to make a big impact on how we engage our audiences. A few weeks ago, Larry spoke about this topic at NAMOA. For those of you who are unfamiliar, NAMOA is the National E-Tailing and Mailing Organization of America. The theme this year was reimagine, really rethinking the rules of marketing and therefore the traditional tactics we're still using to develop our strategies and marketing mix. That's right. Uh, there's been so much change in the last decade. Uh, computing power, advances in algorithms, new marketing technology, uh, printing capabilities, AI, machine learning. So much more is possible now. Uh, but it's time for marketers to start catching up to what's currently available and planning for what direct-to-consumer marketing will be in the future. It's something we're pretty passionate about at Navistone, and we've talked about this many times. So, Larry, you believe there are four major forces driving this change in marketing technology, right? I do. Uh, they are, first of all, advances in artificial intelligence and machine learning. Number two, the ability to integrate data across media. Third, the shift to people-based marketing. Uh, and number four, uh, the capability to individualize marketing. We've talked about individualized marketing and consumer-focused marketing in previous podcasts and our blogs. But let's break these four points down so we get the entire picture. Where do you want to start? Well, we should absolutely start with AI and machine learning since it allows me to say Skynet and Terminator on our podcast. Uh, maybe more sensibly because they're already having a profound change across the whole economy, not just marketing. Right. In the last decade or so, AI and machine learning have gained in popularity partly because of IBM's Watson and Google's personalized search. I think it was only five or six years ago that Watson competed on Jeopardy and won. So is there a difference between artificial intelligence and machine learning? That's a great question, and you've actually given a great example of each. Uh, so AI is the overarching name for the field of computer science, which builds uh, computer programs that uh, kind of imitate or act like humans, uh, you know, can process and do tasks that previously we thought only humans could do. Uh, the technology behind self-driving cars is a great example of AI. Machine learning, however, is just a subset of artificial intelligence. Uh, in a sense, what machine learning is all about is it allows computers to build its own gut instinct. So, Alan, as you know, you know, humans, you and I, we build up our gut knowledge by seeing the same type of problem over and over, trying different solutions and seeing what works best. Uh, in machine learning, we give a computer a training set of data uh, that allows them to do the same thing. Uh, so, for example, uh, if we were trying to use machine learning uh, to have sort of a gut uh, uh, instinct about what the price a particular house will sell for, we might provide the computer data that would include things like, you know, what neighborhood is the house in? Uh, how many rooms does it have? Uh, how old is it? Uh, how many square feet are in the house? Then the machine learning program will assign a weight to each one of these data points, uh, guess a price, then measure how far its guess is off from the actual price, make correction, and guess again. It keeps on repeating that process, further refining what it actually is producing for a guess until it turns out to be pretty accurate. Well, that's pretty amazing. So, so does Google use machine learning in search? Well, as you know, everything with Google is a little mysterious. Uh, but they revealed last year that they are using a machine learning software they call RankBrain 
uh, to continually improve search results. Uh, Google has a tremendous training set of data. It processes more than three billion searches a day. Uh, RankBrain, uh, one, of, one of the examples that Google, Google has given about how it uses RankBrain or sort of what effect RankBrain has had is that RankBrain was able to figure out that the answer to how many tablespoons are in a cup is different in the US than in Australia because of different units of measure. Uh, machine learning began appearing in web marketing about five years ago and it is rapidly becoming more common. So how so? Well, uh, you know, some uh, web uh, you know, e-commerce product recommendation engines use machine learning. I mean, certainly Amazon does. Uh, Critio, uh, the biggest supplier of retargeting ads, say they collect 25 terabytes of raw data every day, uh, and they show 1 billion display ads a month. All of that becomes their training data set. Uh, the web is a great place to capture a lot of interactions with consumer, see results, uh, and then use that as training sets for machine learning software. So those numbers are just crazy. It's amazing how fast data capture, storage, and analytics have grown during the past five years. Where do you think AI and machine learning will be five years from now? And how's it going to impact direct-to-consumer marketing? Well, I'm a little contrarian here because I, I really don't think that AI is going to show up in consumer marketing in that time frame. Ultimately, it's going to be very big, but I think in the next five years, I think the focus is really going to be on machine learning, in part because we're already using it today. Uh, particularly in places where there are large, audi large audiences and lots of data that we can use for training sets. I think you'll see it used in direct mail, in email marketing, and website optimization. Uh, I saw a really cool presentation on using machine learning to figure out what's the optimal price to sell a product at uh, on a website. Uh, and I, I could see that as a, a huge application for machine learning. So you, you piqued my interest here. You said direct mail. So this can apply to direct mail as well? Well, of course it can. I mean, if you think about it, companies are mailing millions of pieces a year. Uh, that's some great training data right there that, frankly, nobody's using today. All right. So last week, Alan, you put me on the spot with a trivia question. Uh, now it's my turn. While uh, I'm really tempted to give you a question about Terminator movies, uh, I'll stick with the data question. Uh, so, did you know that researchers are trying to find a way to store data on DNA? Wow. Well, you know, I'm still trying to figure out a way to store all my passwords somewhere I won't lose or forget them. All right. Well, here's the question for you then, Alan. How much data can fit on a single gram of DNA? I'll give you a little time to think about it, but I'll also give you a hint. Although, really, I think this is just frankly giving it away. The average weight of a base pair of DNA is 650 Daltons. Oh, okay. Uh, you know. uh, can I have the Terminator question instead, maybe? <laughs> uh, okay, so we've covered AI and machine learning. What about the other three forces reshaping direct-to-consumer marketing, data integration and use across media, people-based marketing, and individualized marketing? Right. Okay. Well, uh, in the past, uh, marketers had to identify shoppers by transaction channel, you know, web, call center, store. And consumers had to make a purchase uh, in order for marketers to capture any really valuable data. Uh, but that's not the case anymore. No, it's certainly not. Today, when a consumer goes online, their web browsing data can trigger emails and retargeting display ads. Cell phones can tell us someone's location. A person's response or non-response to email marketing can be used to make decisions about sending direct mail. Yeah, getting a complete view across channels opens up a world of possibilities. Uh, for instance, uh, if a customer has unsubscribed from your email marketing list, uh, you can reach out to them by uploading their email to Facebook. Certainly, we've talked a lot about using browsing data to understand intent uh, and applying that across other media. Uh, 
but another way marketers are using data across media is through geofencing, uh, which involves using the longitude and latitude coordinates of a cell phone to make a marketing decision. Uh, for example, uh, the Uber app can recognize that I've landed at JFK Airport and tell me there are five Ubers nearby. Uh, Domino's Pizza can show digital ads with coupons to people that they know are in hotels near airports. And, uh, you know, if I'm selling margarita mix, uh, I could geofence a Jimmy Buffett concert and deliver display ads just to those folks. Uh, uh, marketing to people based on location is an entirely new field uh, that is just beginning to open up new marketing possibilities. Wow, I guess there's really no place to hide anymore. Well, and by integrating and using data across mediums, you can really start marketing to people rather than to channels. Exactly. You know, even five years ago, marketing departments were set up by channel. You had a direct mail marketing department, digital marketing, email marketing, you even had social media marketing. And we still see that today, but it is starting to shift. Marketing departments are looking toward people or consumer-based marketing to deliver a more cohesive marketing campaign. Uh, you're right. Uh, they're co-targeting digital ads to direct mail. Uh, they're also uploading lists to Facebook and creating look-alike audience. Marketing isn't and shouldn't be limited to a channel because consumers aren't limiting their interactions with your business to one channel. So where do you think marketing to a person or audience segment will be in five years? Well, first of all, I hope we get a lot smarter about which channel we use primarily for a particular consumer. Right now, the mantra appears to be, if you can market to someone in any channel, just do so. Uh, as you know, we've seen data that indicates individuals are more or less responsive to different ad media. Uh, we can make marketing a lot more efficient by determining a medium preference at the consumer level. Uh, I think we'll also start to see dynamic ads on, t on the TV shows we watch. You know, the next generation of TVs, the generation after 4K, will use a technology that allows for each TV viewer to see a different ad, much like you do in streaming video today. It's uh, already possible to target a group of people using a particular search phrase, not just the search phrase used, but a particular group of people using that search phrase. And uh, bricks and mortar stores are beginning to match anonymous website browsers to the people who make in-store purchases, and then looking back to see what marketing activity drove that website browsing that eventually led to that in-store purchase. And this leads to another aspect of people-based marketing, individualized marketing. We've talked about that a lot in our podcasts and our blog, uh, and it's only really become an option across all media in the last few years. Right. Uh, in the old days, we had audience segmentation, you know, catalogs and direct mail version based on prior purchase history, and rudimentary triggered emails, you know, people who visit category X get this email creative. But as we've discussed, that's not enough today. Marketers must individualize marketing if they want to make an impact with consumers. Well, we're able to create dynamic display ads, uh, some dynamic email, abandoned browse, new products and categories you've shown interest in, uh, some dynamic website interaction. And five years from now, I believe we'll be sending dynamic direct mail, which will be the biggest change in direct mail since the co-ops. Yeah, you know, it's amazing. I've been in this business a very long time, and there's been so little innovation in direct mail during the past 25 years. You know, using intent data from website visits will revolutionize what many thought was a dying industry. Okay, there's a few things marketers should do now to prepare, prepare for the changes in, in direct-to-consumer marketing. Well, first thing to do is to make sure you are keeping your consumer interaction data. This means storing website browsing information, call center activity, social interactions. You know, if you're a brick-and-mortar retailer, offer free Wi-Fi, um, uh, and then when someone visits your store, 
uh, you can and uses your Wi-Fi, you'll be able to retain uh, information about what mobile device uh, it was that visited uh, as well. Uh, if you're using direct mail today, this is a pet peeve of mine, bring it at least into the 21st century. Uh, almost no one should be using RFM segmentation today. Uh, at the very least, use a simple algorithm. Uh, as well, consider smaller, more frequent mailings to maximize the hotline effect. And if you're not using direct mail, you really should consider adding it to your marketing mix. Use your own web and retail store anonymous browsing data to trigger daily direct mail postcards. And, you know, as we talked about, I think lo that location signal is one that's going to really explode uh, as far as marketing goes. So you should definitely start testing digital advertising based on physical location. Uh, geofence locations that are likely to attract your type of shopper. You know, for example, if you sell auto parts for classic cars, show digital display ads to people attending classic car shows. And if you haven't already done so, you should really start applying a people-oriented mindset and set of metrics to all of your marketing. The days of separate measures for different programs is gone. Start by defining a primary marketing channel for each group of customers on your file. If they're active in email, use that channel and cut back your marketing spend in other media. If folks who have opted out of email or are non-responsive, try advertising with Facebook or Google. You should even try retargeting with some direct mail. Yeah, and make individualization a part of your marketing efforts now. Start thinking of ways you can make your emails more dynamic if you haven't already. Test dynamic printing like catalog covers or other formats like a trifold or a postcard. So Larry, five years isn't that far away. A lot can happen. Look back at the last five years. So much has changed, and for the better. You're absolutely right. So uh, a while ago, I asked Alan if he knew how much data a single gram of DNA could hold. Uh, so do you have an answer? Well, I don't. But I do know how many parsecs it is from the ice planet off to the moons of Endor, if that helps. Uh, not so much. <laughs> so a single gram of DNA can hold uh, 215 petabytes uh, of data. Uh, one petabyte can hold 13.3 years worth of HD TV video. Of course, storing data in DNA isn't cost-effective yet, uh, but who knows? Uh, five years from now, we could be sticking our finger into a data port to download a movie. Wow, finally a way to store all the episodes of Seinfeld. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so, uh, now that we've gotten a few podcasts under our belt, uh, we're ready to start opening it up to our listeners. If you have a marketing question for us, let us know. Uh, between the two of us, we've had a lot of experience in the industry. So to kick off our new Q&A section, we have a question Larry received from a roundtable discussion he took part in at ETL West. Uh, yeah, there was a great question uh, around how IoT, uh, that's uh, what people are calling the Internet of Things, how that will impact marketing. Uh, so, you know, what I told the um, person who asked the question, uh, you know, there's really a couple of categories of IoT devices. First one is wearables, you know, literally devices that you wear, you know, think of like a Fitbit. It may sound a little bit scary, uh, but my guess is that wearables will become uh, another source of location data, uh, just like cell phones, and that location signal I think is going to be really big. Another category of devices are things like Alexa. Uh, you know, Amazon is keeping track of the questions and tasks you ask Alexa, uh, and they plan on developing advertising content around that much like paid search ads uh, respond to your Google query. Uh, my favorite example, though, of how IoT devices can affect uh, marketing is what Domino is doing. Uh, they're a really interesting company from a technology standpoint. Uh, so they've created an easy order button. It's literally this button in a little pizza box that they give you. 
uh, and it uh, is connected to your cell phone. Uh, you can set up on your cell phone, you know, what your favorite order is, you know, what your type of pizza is, and by just pushing that button, it'll automatically send a signal to order a pizza. That's amazing. Not sure about any of those for me, though. If I could push a button and have a bourbon placed in my hands, I might go for that. Well, if you have questions for us, email them to cheers at navistone.com. And that's it for this episode. Uh, thanks for listening to Two Guys Ramble about the future of direct-to-consumer marketing. If you like this topic, you'll probably find our blog on bridging digital and direct marketing interesting. Uh, you can find it and more resources at navistone.com backslash blog. Again, that's navistone.com backslash blog. We'll be back in a few weeks to talk about how technology is reshaping e-commerce marketing mix and why that's a good thing. Uh, so I'm Larry Cavanaugh. And I'm Alan Abbott. Thanks for joining us today.